We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome first my co-host today, Dr. Cheryl White. You're part of the celebrity thing. Again, my celebrity podcast is ranked number 12, according to Feedspot at Celebrity Podcasts in the World. And you're going to co-host with me today, Dr. Cheryl. We've done some co-hosting of all my other genres of shows. And <laughs> we're excited about our guests because a big movie coming out. Can't wait to hear about it specifically and Robert's feedback. So go ahead and give me, let us know who our guest is. Thank you, Neil. Hi, everyone. Uh, it is an honor to be able to interview composer Robert Toteris and uh, excited about uh, your new movie coming out, The Walk. Um, that's just super exciting. We want to hear all about that for sure uh, and about your composing uh, as well. But can you share with us what, what brought you to this specific career path? Oh boy! Um, how long <laughs> we have? How long do we have? Uh, uh, thanks for having me, by the way. Um, uh, boy, um, I I've been a musician since I was three. I guess I can't. You can't really say it. You can say a three-year-old's a musician, I guess, if they end yeah. up doing it for a living. <laughs> um, so I I got launched on the path at three. Uh, I started playing piano, you know, piano lessons, that sort of thing, and then at seven I discovered the guitar, and all bets were off. And uh, I didn't ever want to do, uh, there's never been a point in my life since the age of seven where I wanted to do anything else with my life, um, which is an odd thing. I have two children and I'm like, why don't you have your career set now? Like, <laughs> but uh, that, it doesn't usually work that way. Um, so uh, I went to a high school performing arts in Philadelphia, went to college for music in New York, uh, flirted, had brief flirtation with record labels in New York as well. That didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to at the time um, in terms of my rock star dreams and so on and so forth. Uh, left the country for a little while just to find myself, as they used to say. I don't know if they still say that. And um, uh, then I um, became a singer-songwriter uh, for a few years. Used to play Borders books. Remember Borders books? Yes. Um, used to play them like I could literally book them from like city to city, state to state, and I could play all over the country and like drive around and play Borders books. You could make real money at one time doing that. At least it was real money to, you know, 20 something. Um, and, um, and did that for a while and then met an amazing woman and was like, I don't want to travel around the country doing this if I'm, you know, it's that thing of like settling down versus, you know, and how am I going to fit my career? And so I decided to be able to make music from home. And so we moved to Los Angeles and I was like, how about film composing? And I've always been obsessed with television and movies. I think everybody that works in this business at whatever level and whatever job has been obsessed with TV and movies. Yes. And so luckily I was a kid that watched a lot of TV and that actually worked that turned into something. Um, so uh, that's a great that's a great answer and so would you saying tv and movies i'm gonna go with the follow-up what were yeah. your tv and movie show movies growing oh, up oh let's talk about it man i have equal love in my heart for francis ford coppola or stephen j cannell the creator of the a-team you know like oh, I, love I, can, <laughs> I mean i was really young when the a-team was on so it was probably inappropriate for me to be watching it like but um i i you know like i just Man, I love, I love, I love procedurals. I love, you know, I, I love the, the premium HBO drama. I love, I've always been that kid 
you know, I'd watch Humphrey Bogart movies with my mom or Sidney Poitier movies, you know, like, so I grew up watching that or Abbott and Costello as well, even though, you know, that's like 40, 50 years before my time. You know, my mom was obsessed with old stuff. So like, and my grandmother, we watch all that stuff too. And then my grandmother also watched like Murder, She Wrote. So like, I have a love for that stuff too, man. You, you, I, the, there's, you can't you can't name something that I don't I can't see an appreciation for on television. I love television. Oh, no, I agree. I and so and I love movies and Netflix. I stream. I'm I'm always watching Netflix and Amazon, and that's what I spend my time watching these days. And, and it's like always when I have certain projects, I wish I could catch up to them because you're either streaming something or watching another movie. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. There's so much stuff out there and available. All right, uh, Doctor Joe. Next question. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I love that. You're very diversified in your <laughs> in what you watch. So um, congratulations on the walk. I was reading very quickly. Um, that, did, did it come out last weekend? Did it debut it last actually weekend? came out last Yes, it did. It could, did come out um, uh, last Friday. So a week ago today. Um, we had the premiere last Thursday. So, you know, sometimes this stuff trips into the, when you're promoting these movies and talking about them. It, usually a lot of people do it ahead of time. I actually find that it's been great to do it while it's out mm -hmm. and talk about it because uh, we had a movie premiere and we had a great response at the premiere and a Q&A that lasted so long that they had to throw us out of the theater. So, <laughs> um, so that, I mean, that was really nice, you know, like eventually they were like, well, this theater has to close. Um, so, um, you know, so, yeah. so far so good. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about the project? I'm fascinated with a composer who does the music for a movie. That's just so interesting to me. And and what it actually means to you to do that kind of work. So, okay, so the walk, just briefly about the story, is the story of the Boston busting crisis that happened in the 70s, um, where they, in attempt to integrate the schools, they decided to, and this happened all over the country, but Boston was particularly notable because there were riots as a result mm -hmm. of it, of some white neighborhoods that didn't want black kids going to school in their neighborhoods. Wasn't everybody, obviously, that's not how racism works, but it was a, it was a loud minority of people. And so uh, it became national news and it was a really scary thing for the kids who were just trying to live their lives and go to school, whether they were white or black. And they were like, what is going on? Yeah. Uh, but so the, the, the movie follows two families, one black and one white, uh, a black uh, child who with a single dad who has to raise her, who is in her senior year and has mm -hmm. to go uh, all of a sudden has to go to a different school, which for any kid can be traumatic, especially in your senior year, gosh. And uh, a white family with a cop who uh, is sort of questioning his own issues with race and his own racism. He's a good guy, but he's obviously had some issues. And so now he's been assigned to protect these black kids who are being bussed into his uh, neighborhood. Meanwhile, uh, his daughter actually is racist, is actively racist, and he's trying oh. to sort of change her heart and trying to figure out his own and deal with this. And it basically, it's a small story. It's not a big sweeping piece on the history of society's ills. You could do that, and it's great. We've had great examples of that. In in, But it, what's great about The Walk is that, and unique about it, is that it's a small provincial story about two families 
from two different worlds and everything's about to roll and get bigger and collide. And so um, that it's really, really, uh, it's a great, it's a great story. It's a little story that turns into something huge. Right. And so Robert, when you talk about your role as a composer, how does that, what is that role in putting together the film? Explain what a composer does. Right. So, so um, uh, basically uh, the director, um, you know, they get, you get a copy of the film, you watch it uh, continually. And in my case, I like to watch the film like five or six times before I even meet the director, like they send it to you now because of digital. And, and uh, so you really know the film. Then the director would come to my studio and talk to me about what he was seeing uh, for the music and his ideas. And I talked to him about my ideas because I've watched the film so much that I know sort of what to say and how, what I thought could happen. And it's just a collaborative process. You know, everything in Hollywood, so you get so many big names in Hollywood, you know, mm -hmm. singular names, but nothing gets made without a bunch of other people. And wow. um, so as the composer, you know, it, the director and I are basically going back and forth, uh, trying to figure out what the language of the score is. So like, what, it, what are we trying to emotionally represent? Mm -hmm. And that, um, that can take, sometimes it's obvious and evident. And sometimes in the case of the walk, the walk is so unique because it is small. So you don't want the score to overwhelm it. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not an action movie. No one, no one's in the kind of danger that we think of in movies. It's a different kind of danger and it's a different kind of tragic situation. So you want to, you want it to be authentic to what the characters are doing, to what you see on screen. And so a lot of that is a lot of talking about the movie, a lot of trying things and seeing if they work and, you know, sending music cues to the director, like, what do you think of this? And them giving you notes and saying, okay, I like this, maybe change this and that sort of thing. Every project's different. Uh, some of them go faster than others. And the walk was actually pretty fast because we were on a schedule, a tight schedule. And I came in a, a pretty late in the game. But it's uh, it's incredibly collaborative process, you know, like you're, you're, you're building something together even though it's his baby, you know, but he's got to relinquish enough control to me to let me find a musical language for the film that works with his vision. But, the, and that sometimes could surprise him and say, oh, I didn't think of that, or, oh, that doesn't work. So, and you have to be open to knowing that you're not going to nail it every time. That music's huge. Think of some of Spike Lee's movies and different things of how basically the music tells the story in so many ways. And I guess every, every story, the Star Wars, all that. We don't think of that role, Robert. We forget yeah. the role for that, right? We think yeah, meanwhile, magic kind of comes up. Yeah. Try to play some of those movies dry without music and see where you get see oh, what you yeah. get. No. And that is I can think of I can think of only two really big properties in the last 30 or 40 years that have had no music at all. And that's yeah. the Sopranos and The Wire. And those are the two of the greatest shows in the history of television. Yeah. So aside from them you need that you need that emotional momentum that the score provides yeah. well definitely let's think about stranger things I, I, without music on that what would do there? Right. you know, you right. know what I mean? yeah. so, especially i lost i watched the last season i cannot wait to finally this thought the second part comes out july 1st my wife, yeah um, my wife is watching the last season right now yeah yeah it's oh it's i think it's the best season i'm really yeah. my, my take is just, like it just the uh, how the storyline goes, but that's the whole thing. But so the composer, you're in the music end, but do you have any of the relationship towards the story and the, the cut out certain things that might not work with the, the acting as being the- composer? No, I mean, no one's gonna make 
editing choices based on what I do. Uh, plus, the movie, usually, I mean, it depends on the project, but let's say for the walk, it was a locked picture by the time it got to me. So there wasn't going to be a thing of where the director discovers, oh, this doesn't work or this, doesn't. I mean, maybe there was, but that doesn't have to do with me. Um, but I think the idea is, think of an excavation. Think of a, uh, a story that's been told centuries ago, right? And you find something in the ground and then, but it's a mess and it's not a mess, but it's, it's not quite clear what happened here or it is clear, but like, it's not, the little parts are missing. And I think what a score does is it's like clearing off all that stuff on the story to bring out and accentuate the emotional impact of those moments. Mm -hmm. I love that. See the detail in everything. Could the story exist without the music? Of course. Like I'm not arrogant enough to think that like I'm the most important part here. But I I think it's like anything, you know, could you tell, could you make a movie without the editing? Sure. Could you, (laughs) could you shoot a movie without a director, like a single singular voice, like directing it where to go? Sure. Could you make a movie without actors? It's been done. I think all those things, but when you're combining things and you have, everybody has their singular job. Mm without one of those things it feels incomplete yes and so so you know it's the the director co-wrote it with uh someone so and then directed it so it's his vision Mm -hmm. or his writer his writer george powell's vision of of his co-writer george powell's vision but to make that vision complete to really put the you know the finer touches on it emotionally you do need the score that's Mm -hmm. just how it works I agree. I'm a musician and I can't imagine <laughs> being without the music because it does give right. that emotional strength and it just keeps you engaged as you go on and on. So, yeah. Right. Matter of fact, I, I hope the walk comes out in my local theater. I'm going to stand up and say, hey, guys, wait for the credits. I want to <laughs> I get to talk to the composer. <laughs> but Hey, <laughs> we got. I'm from a small place. <laughs> it would be exciting. Okay, no, that's. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it gets a wide, written, wide enough release that we can get yeah. it everywhere. That would be great. I, that would be awesome because I love the topic. Number one, but um, I just want to know if you have, you know, in all of your experiences, what is the most interesting story that's happened to you since you started composing? Hmm. Wow. Um... Tough question. <laughs> story since, um, you know, um, I don't know if I have one. If I do, I'm never going to remember it. it, it um, Cause my memory is like, my memory doesn't work when it's being pressured. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, I, I feel like this whole thing has been an interesting story in that you never forget the first time you hear your music on television or the first time you hear your music in a movie theater. Oh and the movie theater thing is um, unique only in it, that a movie is an event right. you go to and, and it's like you get out, you get dressed, you get out of the house, and you do things, which to, in today's world is uh, even more uh, compromised. But like, so like, you know, like I got dressed up to go to the premiere and then when the music comes up and you're like, and I still get like chills they're like, oh, I wrote that, like, in my T-shirt, like, you know, like, drinking coffee, like, in the middle of the night or something. And th- there's a thrill there. But I, I never forget the first time I heard my music on television. I was in this tiny, tiny, terrible apartment that my wife and I had. 
and um, and uh, she was pregnant. And I had done this job for someone, but didn't have much, didn't have many prospects at the time. But the job had been done a while ago, and I had almost forgotten about it. And we, you know, we were struggling, looking for money and trying to figure out what to do. She was teaching and, but, you know, we were having a child. And so there was a lot going on. Our world was about to change. And we were just flipping the TV. And like, at first I was like, she was like, actually, she was like, wait, is that, is that the thing? And I was like, oh my God, oh my, like, and you just, it's coming into your living room and you just feel like, oh like what I'm doing matters yeah. to someone. Someone actually who I don't know heard this piece of music and said, it was a piece of music for a commercial. I oh. said, let's put this in here. We're going to pay for it. We're going to put it on television. It's going to represent, you know, at the time of commercial, our product. And there was just something so unique and special about that that I've never, I mean, I remember what I was wearing. I was wearing a pair of gray shorts and a black t-shirt, like I, and, oh, and a pair wow. of socks. Like I, I remember I was sitting on a green couch and with my feet extended and she was sitting in this rocking chair that we had. And I remember that so specifically. I have a few things like that. The first time I got a check that I could live off of. Like, <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. like that was, you know, so those are my unique memories where you're like, oh, my work, all this work is paying off. Like my dreams are kind of coming true. Right. And I would say those things happened for me. One would be when I was a former professional wrestler and I was on in a territory in, in Arkansas and I go and we're getting ready to watch the show 1130 at night, you know, because we taped right. it and I see me at the opener and I'm like, wow, that one. And then also driving in the snow when my first show came on the radio and hearing myself on the radio for the first time right. on a radio station. And it's me. Right. It's like it happened a few times, but when it was my show. Like I co-hosted before, but this was my show. Right. I was like, wow, those type of uh, experiences are amazing. And, you know, getting Absolutely. interviewed celebrities like yourself, for sure. So uh, my, my point is, what what do you think you're best known for? What com- what was the biggest project you composed on? Um, you know, I think I'm most known for... Uh, two things. One is behind me, there's a poster for a show called behind me. There's a poster for a show at Zoom. I should figure out which hand I'm using. Um, <laughs> it's a show called Cold Justice, which is used to be on TNT, but it's now on Oxygen. It's a, it's produced by Dick Wolf, you know, Law and Order yes. and FBI and all that. And so um, it's been a real thrill for me to be a small part of that, that TV family. Um, and Cold Justice has been on for seven years now, seven, maybe eight mm-hmm. years. And um and uh, we're about to do our hundredth episode. Uh, uh, I'm writing the music for that probably this week, wow. and uh, that comes out in September. And it just really impacts people in a way because it the the woman who is a lead investigator goes around with her team solving cold case murders, real cold case murders. And when you give the family that kind of closure, you know, it's just, and it's been effective. You know, you can't solve every one, but there's been a number of them that have been solved. We've even gotten a confession on the air before that whole Robert Durst thing ever even happened. And so like, we are sort of the first in that sort of new, there's always been like unsolved mysteries and stuff like true crime stuff, but we were the first like in 2013, I think, or so I guess it's been on even longer because I think 2013 was our first episode. 
And uh, we've, it just, it's a special show. When you work in Hollywood, I come, I'm coming to you about The Walk, which is a special project also, because historically it's really significant. And, but you don't get as much of a chance to do really significant, historically significant stuff or impactful stuff in the real world. You tell, can tell great stories, which do impact the real world because they're about the real world. But I get to actually do stuff that, where people go out and they get closure out of something or you know, they find out what happened to their loved ones. And I get to be a small part of that with the music. And that's incredibly special. Um, uh, you know, it, it just is. And you have to write really authentic music to represent these people. And it's just really, it's, it's, the, it's a, such a unique, special job. I think probably that, and I'm most known for that. And there was a show on uh, a few years ago called Sugar Rush, which uh, was on Netflix, which I did the music for, which a lot of people, it's like a baking show, but everybody's kids watch Sugar Rush. And like, it was just like this great yeah. experience. And check out your IMBD and maybe other people might say other shows, right? That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think those two are probably, probably so far my biggest ones. Oh, and it's going to be bigger and you never know. Do you ever think you'll have an Academy Award ever? You ever think of I, I gotta say, I try not to think about that because if I think about it, you'll just think about that forever. You know, I I feel like my, I mean, look, I'd be BSing you if I told you I don't ever think about it. I, of course you think about that kind of recognition. To me, that kind of recognition means I get to work more. Like, you know what I mean? That people are gonna be like, oh, hire that guy. Because, you know, ultimately this is my job and I have two children and a wife and a house and a dog. And so I have to, you know, I have to think about the day-to-day -day aspect of making a living. So um, I do think about the glory that would be involved occasionally of winning a big award, but I also think oh, it'd just be cool because I get more work. I'm like, because yeah. <laughs> everything is about where's your next job coming from? What's your next job? You know, I think that's the nature of doing anything freelance anyway. Yeah. All right, sure. Now, talk about your project as a question for him, just to give oh. him an update of who you are. Okay, so that okay. well, one of, one of my questions for you was, are you working on any other exciting new projects? And I have one for you. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I just, I wrote a book called Underground Angel, and I would love for it someday to be made into a movie. And um, it's the life story of a 19th century abolitionist, Laura Haviland from Michigan. Oh. And she was an amazing lady. And I just the things that she accomplished in her lifetime were just phenomenal. But most people have never heard of her, don't know who she is. Yeah. She, um, she worked alongside Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth. And um, she did some, she changed the streetcar laws in Washington, D.C. Um, so that blacks and whites could ride together in 1865. Um, she also marched along with the Union Army in the last year of the Civil War and was a humanitarian and she um, got to work with some presidents and Edwin Stanton and um, Secretary of State. She just, she's a really phenomenal person and I'm trying to get that message out because yeah. I think it's so important today in the world we live in that we, you know, that we, that we know that there are white people that gave their all because they care, you know, and just in the same way as black people give their all because they care and that we can work together and live together, you know, in our country. So. Well, yeah. I think, you know, historically, I think stuff like that's really important. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, you have to tell those stories. You have to talk about history, period. Uh, you can't shy away from it, whether it's good or bad. Actually, I think actually the great thing about talking about the bad things are you can change the bad things that exist now. I don't quite, other than keeping people, I think there are powers that be would, that would like to keep people stupid. Um, right. But other than that, I don't see the reason in not talking about history. And, you know, I just don't see what that sort of that strange movement is other than subjugating people. Um, because this informs what we do are going to do next. And this shows us, oh, here's where we made mistakes, but here's where we were great. Like for every terrible, terrible, terrible story, there's smaller stories of greatness, of people doing great things to try to overcome this. And I just, this is what's really important. Like, uh, and as someone who tells stories for a living or as part of a storytelling for a living, uh, that's how you reach people. People understand stories. So you writing this book uh, or, or someone else telling stories like this, this is hugely important. I mean, there's no better time right now in terms of the landscape of television th than, you know, for stories like that than there, than there ever has been. I mean, there's, there's never been a time better than now for stuff like that because I think there's a hunger for stories like that. There's a hunger for, you know, which show, tells you a lot about the climate we're in because people want stories like that. But maybe some people in charge don't want stories like that. So what does that tell you? Like the people want something that the people in charge don't want. Absolutely. Such good insight. I love your honesty. It's so refreshing. Thank exactly. You so Robert, where can we connect with you, first of all? And then secondly, where can we watch The Walk? So The Walk's in theaters now. Uh, I'll answer two, two, number, two second question first. The Walk's in theaters now, but it's also on digital and on demand. So I'm sure if you have an on-demand system and you search The Walk, I actually did on my cable and it, it was there. Um, I think you can get it on Amazon too, um, as well. Um, and uh, I am terrible at social media, but I'm trying to get better. And so um, I'm on Twitter at Robert Toteris, all one word, uh, dot com, and uh, uh, Robert at Robert Toteris at twitter.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram at Robert underscore Toteris. You know, my Instagram is like pictures of my studio, pictures of my family, pictures of my dog. So it's <laughs> like, you know, if you're interested in that, then come on by. Like, um, <laughs> now it's all going to video too, Robert. The best bet is for Instagram is to go straight video. And so it, with your ability in editing, put some cool music composing with portions of something you could use as a product. Right. And that would be the best way to, because it's all reels. It's all about reels now. I haven't jumped on it. I'm a social media guy. I haven't. I'm doing it with my clients first, but I'm going to be jumping on it soon. I just got to get back in the saddle. I have so much content. I could be doing reels all day long. It's just about the time, right? Because True. I have everything I say. Well, we appreciate yeah. it, Robert. You were fantastic and yes. best of luck. And I'll have to check out Cold Justice. Cold Justice is available where? Where is it on? It's on, it's on Oxygen, which is uh, on your cable system. Uh, if you don't have cable, you can watch it on oxygen.com or on iTunes or I think on Amazon as well. But uh, we have a new season coming out in late August, uh, end of the summer. And uh, that'll be our 
seventh season, I think. I could be wrong about that, but it's 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 rare that you get that opportunity in television to do a hundred episodes of anything. So um, hey, I feel like blessed. It's a huge yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we, yeah. Pre- we appreciate you, Robert. Thanks for stopping by. And thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I really All appreciate right. it. You're welcome. You're watching and listening to the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> 